there is such a huge diversity in, in common beans, mostly, but also in chickpeas, in lentils. Um, it's not like one variety, we, we say lentils, but it's plural. So there are hundreds of varieties of lentils and most people know only two or three. What's the difference between beans and policies? Is it bad to eat canned beans? How is Polish independence linked to the beans from the town of Lamin in Brazil? Locale. Local. Shock. Local. Cambiamento. Tapir. Gergelecta. Sacula Ijaia. Food. Change. Slow Food, the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Slow Food, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the beauty and complexity of good, clean and fair food systems. I'm Valentina Gritti, I'm your host and a Slow Food Youth Network activist. On this podcast, we meet changemakers around the world who are working towards a more sustainable food system and promote a slow lifestyle. This podcast is the second episode of a small series in which we take a deep dive into our food system and its challenges, get inspired to cook plant-rich meals and learn about agroecology as a solution. Today we want to talk about the beauty of beans and legumes, from their nutritional properties to their biodiversity and how beans are used in different diets around the world. But we also want to debunk some of the myths connected to eating and preparing beans. We will start by having a conversation with Nicolas Carton agronomist, researcher, and experimental cook of pulses. A colleague uh, gave me a book about cooking with, uh, with beans, chickpeas, lentils, etc. And at that time, I was already working on, on legumes for my PhD. I was working on the legumes that are given as feed to animals. And then with this book, I realized, wow, that's even more powerful if we can actually eat those plants directly, those protein-rich seeds. Um, and that's how I decided to specialize in, in policies. Nicola is also one of the coordinators of the Global Bean Project. It's a network for the promotion of um, cultivation and consumption of legumes. And it's a, a very open network. We have uh, lots of partners, uh, around 100 partners in the whole world. And just for curiosity, Nicola, uh, you mentioned a book that kind of opened your eyes on the cuisine of beans and legumes. Do you remember the title of that book? Yes, it's in French. Savez-vous goûter les légumes secs? It's, it means like, do you know how to taste pulses? So it started with really easy ways to include them in your diet, in spreads, in soups, and then building up to more elaborate recipes. Uh, fermentation, sweet uh, dishes with legumes. Then it could be, it could have been another book. There are many really good books out there talking about those topics. And Nicola, when we were talking already, we said a couple of times like beans, uh, pulses, legumes. Could you help us understand the differences between these words? Yes, I think it's important to know this vocabulary because there is a lot of confusion out there. Um, when we talk about legumes, it's a broad term, it's a botanical family. Uh, so there could be uh, trees, plants like alfalfa or clover that are more grown as uh, fodder for cows, for instance. They are legumes, they are plants of the leguminous family. And then there are also legumes that produce uh, dry seeds that can be eaten either by animals or by humans. So we think about peas, fava beans, soybeans. Uh, those are called grain legumes. 
And then pulses is a subset of those which are used for human consumption. So when we talk about dry beans, dry peas, lentils, chickpeas, um, cow peas, those are pulses. So when we say beans, sometimes we mean actually pulses as we, we use beans as a, as a term for all pulses. And I prefer pulses because it's more clear that we also include chickpeas, lentils, etc. And it's also important to understand that the same plants can produce dry beans that we can eat and cook as dry beans, but also green beans. Do you know the, the whole pod, which is eaten in a green, fresh state. And when we talk about pulses, we only consider the dry seeds that needs to be cooked, uh, boiled before eating. And in the case of peanuts, are they also considered like uh, pulses? Or? Peanuts are a little bit special. It's like soybeans. They are not really considered pulses most mm. of the time because they have a high oil content. Okay. It's a different composition, nutritional composition of the seed. And uh, they are called oil seed legumes. They are legumes, they, uh, they are grain legumes, but not uh, specifically pulses. pulses. Okay, great. Thanks for the clarification. You're welcome. And um, so next, I would like to talk about the importance of uh, pulses in uh, both for the environment and also for our health. So um, if you can tell us something about uh, why pulses are really important in agriculture, of course, yeah. Um, that's why I became so enthusiastic about legumes in general as an agronomist when I discovered the, all what they could do uh, to benefit our cropping systems, our farming systems. Um, the most important feature that makes them different from other crops is that they are able to build a symbiotic relationship with the bacteria that live in their root nodules on the roots and they feed the bacteria with some sugars that come from the photosynthesis that all plants make. And in exchange, the bacteria gives the plants some nitrogen that the bacteria can fix from the air. So when you grow a legume, you don't need to fertilize the soil with nitrogen. In contrary to almost all other crops where you need to include nitrogen in the soil for good growth. And this makes a big difference in terms of carbon footprint because the production of this synthetic nitrogen fertilizer is very, very expensive in energy and it uses uh, high amounts of gas. You can spare nitrogen by not fertilizing the legume and you also spare nitrogen on the following crop uh, because the legumes gives back some of the nitrogen to the soil. And then there is something related to the fact that our cropping systems, at least in Europe, are very um, simplified. We grow mostly cereals, oilseed rape, maize, and uh, um, sugar beets. And then any other type of crops you integrate into those cropping systems has um, a beneficial impact because you change when you grow another, a different crop. It can be immediate, it can be buckwheat, it can be quinoa, anything. And, and legumes are part of this you diversify the cropping system. Another very important environmental uh, reason to, to eat more uh, pulses, this time not only legumes, but specifically pulses that we can have in our food, is that they are very rich in proteins. So you can integrate them in your diet instead of some other 
source of proteins, which are very often animal-based, so animal products. And we know that animal products, most of them, they have a um, carbon footprint, uh, water use, uh, less beneficial than uh, the one of plants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a great reason why we should also eat legumes for our health and not only for the health of the of the planet, right? And do you have mm -hmm. any other um, information about this? So why are legumes and pulses really important uh, as part of our meals? Exactly. We said that it's interesting to eat pulses because of the protein um, aspect. Um, they have around 20, 25% of protein on the, the raw uncooked pulse which is similar to meat. Then when you cook them, of course, you dilute the proteins, but you still get a lot of proteins. If you want to be vegan, for instance, you know that you need to combine legumes with cereals. Then you get, you get full proteins. They are also very rich in fibers. When you compare pulses with the meat or cheese, you get proteins from both, yes. But in meat and cheese, you get saturated fats, which are not good for health. And you don't get fibers and most people at least in europe you know, they have they don't have enough fibers in the in the diet so when you replace part of your animal products intake mm -hmm. you get more fibers from legumes which is positive for your health they also are rich in many vitamins and minerals which is also the case for animal products but not the same so it's interesting to combine them uh, they are rich in folate which is efficient in most uh, people's diet it's interesting, there have been some research showing that increasing uh, by 50% the intake of pulses actually makes you compensate for lots of deficiencies. When you look at what people lack in their diets, you look at what pulses contain, it fits exactly. So when you increase your intake of pulses, you, you get towards a better diet. Do you eat pulses every day? I think so, yeah. <laughs> And Nicola, since you also have like a, a lot of practical expertise and like preparing beans and, and all of this, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about like some popular myths around beans? And maybe you can help us debunk a couple of them. For example, when we think about eating beans, like the first thing that most of the people would think about is that they make you bloat. Like, is it true? Or like, is there a way that we can mitigate the bloating effect of beans? How do you do that when you cook? Yes, so that's correct. For some people and prepared in some ways, you would get uh, some uh, digestive digestion issues. Um, but there are ways to overcome that. Um, if you eat pulses more often, your your guts get used to them and then you have less problems. And I always recommend to start, if you are not used to eating pulses, to start with dehulled pulses. So that's, for instance, the wet lentils. You know, they come without the, the skin. Or you can also buy dehulled chickpeas or fava beans because most of the, the compounds that make these digestive problems, they, they are in the, in the seed coat, in the, in the skin. So that's one part. Start slowly, increase slowly, and start with the ones that are easiest for you. Mm -hmm. Then you can also add some um, spices in the in the cooking water or in the dish, like cumin, uh, fennel, anise, 
it, it has an impact on digestion. It makes it easier to digest. And then maybe the most important, what I should have started with is that some people don't cook pulses, right? The, the pulse, when it's cooked, you should be able to squeeze it without much pressure uh, between two fingers. Otherwise, it's not enough cooked. If it's still kind of crunchy or if it still has a bite, it's not well cooked. Okay. And this makes a huge difference in, in terms of digestion. Then there are some other small tips that we gathered in an information sheet, which you can find on the website of the Global Bean on how to cook pulses yourself at home, starting from the dry, dry seeds that you can buy. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can also, if you are in a hurry or you are not so much into taking a very long time to cook, you can choose lentils, which are fast. You can try to cook big quantities in advance and, and freeze some so that you don't have to start from scratch every time. But you can also eat canned uh, pulses like canned lentils or, or beans. So it's not true that uh, canned beans are worse than dried beans? It depends a little bit what you want to do and it depends on the quality of the, of the canned uh, pulses you, you buy. I suggest buying organic canned pulses because, or at least to check in the ingredients list because lots of them, they include EDTA, which is an additive, which has been shown to have some bad impacts on health. They use it in order to keep the color of the, of the pulses in the can, but it's actually not so good for you. Um, so I would recommend reading the ingredients list and choosing the ones that don't contain EDTA. Then for some recipes, I would not recommend canned beans, for instance, because lots of them, they fall apart. They are very well cooked. It's good for digestion. But if you want to make a salad, it doesn't work because when you start to stir with other ingredients, it just make a, a puree. That's not what you want. So uh, for bean salads, I would recommend cooking them yourself and choosing the bean varieties, which actually hold their shapes when they are cooked. There is such a huge diversity in, in common beans mostly, but also in chickpeas, in lentils. Um, it's not like one variety. We, we say lentils, but mm -hmm. it's plural. So there are hundreds of varieties of lentils and most people know only two or three. But if you look at uh, Italy, for instance, they have uh, regional varieties in all corners of Italy and they are all different. And coming back to, to cooking beans for a salad, if you take a bean without knowing, maybe you end up with a which is more suitable for a puree and it doesn't work at all in your salad. So it's also important to know a little bit more about the, the properties of the varieties. And Nicola, in case uh, someone like forgot to soak their beans the night before and they still want to cook the dried beans, uh, would you recommend not to do it? Or is there a way that they can still do it maybe with a pressure cooker? Mm -hmm. Soaking is, is very important for digestion. It makes the cooking time uh, less also. So it's, it's interesting when you can do it. If you cannot do it, it's not a huge problem. You can do what we call quick soak. So it means bring them to the boil, leave them uh, for at least 30 minutes in the warm water, then discard this warm water and start cooking from scratch again with the beans that have been soaked in, in warm water for a bit less time. Okay. Otherwise, it's best to soak them for 10 to 20 hours, depending on the temperature with a bit of uh, bicarbonate in the soaking water. Ah, wh why bicarbonate? It helps to soften the, the seed coat, so the skin. 
so that the, the water enters more easily. And some people use bicarbonate when cooking. I, I don't recommend that because if you put a bit too much, it can have, get to a soapy taste a little bit. Mm. Some people don't feel it, but I think it's better to use it in the soaking water. Great. Thanks. I didn't know this one. Yeah, there is also the myth that you shouldn't add salt to the water until uh -huh. the very end when the pulses are cooked. And I think this is not true. I've been doing some tests. I've, I've read some what some other people wrote. And I don't know where it came from, but it actually makes very, very little difference in terms of the time to cook. And it adds a lot mm -hmm. of taste when you can put salt already in the beginning. When it starts to boil, you can already add the salt. And then the salt gets to the core of the seeds and it's much tastier. I like using normal uh, pot or pressure cooker doesn't really change much or does it? For chickpeas, for instance, I, I see that most of the time uh, I don't manage to cook them very well without a pressure cooker. But for all the others, I don't use a pressure cooker unless I'm very, I'm very much in a hurry. Um, because, for instance, if you have those beans, you would like them to, to remain whole. In the pressure cooker, the pressure makes it um, yeah, more likely that they fall apart. But for chickpeas, I do use it because I like it when they are really soft and with a normal pot, I don't manage to get them. Is it true that uh, the proteins in pulses are uh, more difficult to be taken up by our body? Yes, it's true that proteins in animal products are more uh, readily available for our digestion system in pulses. The proteins are, are of good quality, but it's true some are not available because of some other substances in, in the legumes. And this is reduced when you cook them very, very well, when you add some spices and also when you ferment uh, pulses. There are some recipes where you ferment mm -hmm. legumes and this also makes the proteins more available. But don't you worry too much about that because you still get a lot of proteins by eating pulses, especially if you combine them, it doesn't have to be in the same dish, but try to combine them with cereals. If you eat cereals the same day, then you have a full amino acid profile and, and you have a good protein nutrition. Nicola tells me that in Europe, pulse consumption had significantly dropped since the beginning of the 20th century, but fortunately, in the last couple of years, we have seen a slight increase of pulse consumption and production. And at the same time, we see the development of very industrialized supply chains where um, we extract uh, proteins from the seeds and then the, it's used as one ingredient in meat uh, analogs, for instance. And for me, this development is less profitable for society, for the farmers also, because it's just a continuation of uh, seeing pulses as commodity crops and you don't get this knowledge from the consumer that they are actually eating something that has been growing in the field because it's like it comes through many steps and it's highly processed foods, etc. So I'm very much in favor of um, cooking from dry pulses and uh, finding the local varieties and trying to support your local farmers who try to, to sell in shorter supply chains. And Nicola, I have one last question for you. Uh, do you have any tips for our listeners on how they can become Pulse Ambassadors? Becoming a Pulse Ambassador means being able to, to tell uh, people about a few things, why, why it's important to, to produce and to eat more legumes. And then also sharing recipes, 
sharing stories, uh, knowing uh, which local pulse varieties there are in your region, helping the farmers to find more consumers for their produce. Yeah, maybe organizing a cooking workshop if you like to cook. This was Nicolas Carton from the Global Bean Project. And now let's move to Brazil, to Belo Horizonte, where Lucas Morao, a young slow food activist, is promoting the use of local wild and neglected plants to preserve biodiversity and culture. Lucas is going to tell us the story of the Holy Spirit beans. These beans are at the same time a symbol of national resistance in Poland and a miracle bean in Brazil. Uh, this is quite interesting because uh, I knew this bean that happens here in, near my city through a person from Poland that is my friend now, that is called Anna Rominska. And she told me that uh, we had here a similar bean that they have, have in Poland. And I was like, oh my God, this is so crazy. A person from outside Brazil is telling me about a knowledge from here that I don't know. And she told me that uh, this is a symbol of patriotism, this being in Poland. Um, because first, this being has the image of the eagle that is the Polish emblem. On the skin of the beans. Yes, it's a white bean with a red thing mm -hmm. on its center. That for Polish, it's, uh, it seems like the eagle, the Polish emblem. Mm -hmm. And for us in Brazil, it's related to the uh, Holy Spirit. Okay. So it has a religious uh, context. So talking about uh, Poland, it, it was traditionally served on Christmas Eve as a patriotic duty. And in the 19th century, uh, growing this bean in Poland was prohibited by Russians due to their invasion on Poland's territory at that time. And it survived because it was planted clandestinely hidden among potato plants. Wow. So this is so nice because it's uh, culture resistant, you know. And it was forgotten for many years in Poland and it was rediscovered by a Polish academic recently in southern Poland. And uh, the, the name in Polish is Fasola or Shelkiem, the eagle bean. <laughs> While in Brazil, the story of this bean is a very different one, and it is believed to bring good luck. Brings uh, uh, luck and attract money if you keep a bean in your wallet. Okay, but do you also have one in yes. yours? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, I bring with me laurel leaf in my wallet because it attracts luck as well. <laughs> okay, so your wallet gets very heavy with all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this thing is only known in this region of Lamin, countryside. The story is that um, in the beginning of the 19th century, a farmer called Bras Teixeira was chosen as the festivity organizer for the celebrations of the Pentecost. And he didn't have money to do the festivity. Sorry, Lucas, just understand well. So every year during the Pentecost, the city has like a celebration and every year they choose a different person that becomes like the, the patron. So he has to organize the celebration for the city. Yes, yes. Back on the 19th century. 
So, ashamed of not having money to do so, he promised that if he, he increased uh, his bean productivity, he would sell the entire harvest to cover the patron's homage. And he did it. This happened. He had a, a huge harvest of beans. And along with the, the beans came out a new bean that it was the white bean with the red thing on its center, with the image of the Holy Spirit. And so it is associated with luck. But so people think that it's a sort of miracle because it has like the eagle of the Holy Spirit and it was like connected to the celebration of the Pentecost. Yeah, sure. In fact, there are many legends of this type here in Brazil because people are too religious mm. and like to pray and to have their sense. <laughs> This is very interesting how, how religion takes part also on food. I guess you're all wondering what these beans taste like. So Lucas tells me that the texture is smooth and the taste is delicate. And these beans are ideal for salads, for stews, for side dishes. Basically, you can eat them with everything. And the image of the Holy Spirit is preserved after cooking, even if the color fades away a little bit. Delicious. And highly nutritious. So, in the town of Lamim in Brazil, it is common to eat these beans, especially on Pentecost, in May. While in Poland, they mainly prepare them on November 11th, the day of the national independence. But there is also another famous Brazilian dish based on beans. Uh, this dish, uh, we have a little fight <laughs> of my state and Rio de Janeiro state. My state is called Minas Gerais. And uh, some people say, oh, feijoada was created in Rio de Janeiro. And some people say feijoada was created in Minas Gerais. And of course it's in Minas Gerais, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the, the big point here is that um, feijoada is um, black beans with some pork parts. And many parts, ears, the meat, the bones. Everything. The legend says that fajoada was originally a dish prepared by slaves who only had access to the leftover scouts of meat from the aristocrats. And then they added these scouts of meat into a bean stew. So while they didn't have access to meat, they had indeed access to beans because they cultivated them on their fields. We eat fajoada with uh, white rice, sometimes with farofa, that is a side dish made of cassava flour and a slice of um, orange. This was Lucas Morau. Have you ever eaten tempeh? Let's move to Indonesia, where we can learn more about it. Tempeh is a traditional Javanese food obtained by fermenting legumes or grains that have been soaked, steamed and inoculated with the fungi of the Rhizopus genus. The final result is a compact bean patty which is really high in protein and also easy to digest. To know more about it, the best person to talk to is Amalia. Amalia is a slow food activist, nutritionist and educator and she is based in Yogyakarta on the Java island where actually Tempe was born. 40% of population in Indonesia is a Java community because that Tempe is a famous in Indonesia. As we know, tempeh is uh, uh, low price than animal protein. 
in, in generally tempe made uh, from the soybean but in a java community or in my area tempe uh, made from the uh, many kind of local legume and some from the seeds most tempeh you find in indonesia but also in europe for instance is made with white soybeans while in Java, tempeh is traditionally made of different beans and even seeds, but also side products from the oil processing industry, such as peanuts. From the statistic data, more than 80% soybeans from import, US, Brazil, and China, that is a genetic modified. Local, yellow soybean and a black soybean is higher price than a soybean import. And how do you normally um, eat tempeh? Indigenous people and local people, especially in central Java, we eat tempeh every day, every time. Main this meal or is the snacking with the tempeh. Amalia tells me that you can prepare tempeh in different ways. You can boil it, you can put it in a stew, you can fry it. But her family has a very special way of using over-fermented tempeh to prepare salad dressing. In my personal memory, made a salad dressing with the over-fermented tempeh. It is a so yummy umami taste. The name is sambal tumpang. In order to prepare tempeh, the beans are inoculated with the fungi the Rhizopus oligosporus, naturally present on local hibiscus leaves. And then the beans are left to ferment at the environment temperature for about 40 to 50 hours. Consider that we are talking about tropical countries, so the environmental temperature is quite high. If you don't stop the fermentation, for example by boiling the tempeh, then you will get what Amalia calls the over-fermented tempeh. A difference about the taste, about the traditional and industrial method. This was Amalia from Yogyakarta, Indonesia. Thanks to all our guests, Nicola Carton, Lucas Morao and Amalia, for sharing their knowledge and culture around pulses. If you like this episode, I invite you to share it with your network and please send your feedback, comments and questions in the podcast Telegram group. I'll let the link to the podcast description. Especially if we live in an urban setting, the farm and the farmers or the fisher, fishers seem so far away. And mostly we encounter supermarkets and supermarkets can be an avenue to find some locally produced products. Um, But of course we have to know what we're looking for. See you next Wednesday with an episode all dedicated to eating more sustainable food and to agroecology. This is Valentina Gritti and you have listened to Slow Food, the podcast. Ciao!